Song with a message. Thank you so much for that, fellas. You got your Bible over in Matthew chapter 13 tonight, and so I want to look at a parable with you tonight, Matthew 13, and I want to walk through a little bit of the chapter and then look at the parable of the, the wheat and the tares for just a little bit and can give uh, something for us this evening. Let's go ahead and ask the Lord again in our hearts that the Lord speak to us and open up our eyes. Father, thank you again for letting us be in church tonight. Again, bless us, help us, and uh, Lord, again, reveal your word to us. And uh, Lord, whatever you want to do, sometimes it's with a song. Um, that is sung, as well as a song that's congregational. How you speak to our hearts is amazing. That even in general conversation, Lord, we can hear that still small voice of what you're trying to tell us. And Lord, may tonight uh, your word, again, give a, a loud signal to us as Christians. Lord, what we're supposed to be doing, should be doing, help us have an understanding of this parable. And God, thank you again for the day that we do get to live in. Lord, help us do our best for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Matthew chapter 13, now look at verse number 1. <clears throat> the Bible says, The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the sea uh, side, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. All right, so again, picture here. Jesus is talking to a large group of people. In order to do that, he gets into a boat. He's speaking from the boat uh, to all of these people on the shoreline. He begins to do several parables. Matthew chapter 13 um, has the parable of the sower, the parable of the wheat and tares, the parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the, of the leaven, and all of these things Jesus is giving. We understand that a parable is what we would refer to as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. In other words, it's a kind of a, uh, something that we can relate to that would be um, a story of, it could be about the soil, it can be about a person working, it could be about a person being a hired person. God, Jesus used several stories to teach spiritual truths. He's doing that here in this passage. Jump down to verse number 10, though, and see what the disciples say. In verse 10, the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Now, who's the them? The them is verse number 2 when he says he's speaking to great multitudes. Now, because there's great multitudes, it's a picture of believers and unbelievers alike. The disciples being a picture of the believer. They come to Jesus and say, Listen, how come you're telling them stories? Now, Jesus answers that question, verse number 11. He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. Now, church, what Jesus is trying to say is, is that God gives things to Christians he doesn't give to a lost person. And by the way, that's not an accident, nor should it be a surprise. There's things that we do for our own children we don't do for somebody else's children. All right? Look what he says next in verse number 13. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. Verse uh, 15, it says, For this people's heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. Hey, listen, as Christians, we shouldn't take for granted or take lightly that, that God speaks to us. You know, we understand the word, or let me say it this way, we understand the knowledge of, if I'm a Christian, I've got a home in heaven. I've got a Holy Spirit that dwells inside of me. I've got access to the Heavenly Father. God speaks to me. But sometimes we take that too lightly because the lost world doesn't have that. I want you to hold your place, and can I, if I can just follow this, this vein of thought for a little bit farther, turn over to 1 Corinthians 2 real quick. I'm coming right back to, to uh, Matthew 13. But in 1 Corinthians number 2, I want you to jump down to verse number 13. I'm going to begin reading while you're turning there. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 13, which things also we speak, Paul speaking here, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, 
comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Verse 14. I want you to say just the first sentence with me together. Ready? But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Why? Here's what it says. For they are foolishness unto them, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. I think sometimes, especially new converts, they get aggravated with lost family members because they don't see it like they see it. All right? Can I just remind you that as long as a person is lost, they have no Holy Spirit to enlighten them. They don't have a guide of the truth. And so again, when does that happen? When they open up their heart, when they receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, the Holy Spirit comes inside of them. And now when you read the Word of God, oh wow, I never saw that before. And the reason you never saw that before is because you're saved. God speaks to us. All right, now go back to Matthew 13. This is why Jesus was speaking in parables. He says, hey, I'm speaking in parables because there are certain things that are meant for those who are saved, those who are believers. Now look at the next thing here with me. I want you to jump down to verse number 24. And let's look at this particular parable. Verse 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed a good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among, among the wheat and went his way. All right, now think for a moment here. Uh, he said there's a difference between a wheat and a tare. Okay, they're trying to grow wheat. They're trying to harvest this wheat. And these tares was a weed that would actually was detrimental to the, to the crop, to the wheat crop. And uh, they looked very similar when they started to come up. But then it was very noticeable, oh, that's a weed and that's wheat. All right, tares and wheat. So he's using this story to illustrate. Now look at verse 26. It says, but when the blades were, was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest, we, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now he's going to tell some more parables, but the disciples are going to ask now Jesus the interpretation. Jump down to verse 36 of this parable. What is the interpretation? Verse 36, Then Jesus sent the multitude away. Now remember now, there's certain things that God's going to tell his people that he's not going to tell a lost person. He's now going to explain this parable to the disciples. Verse 36, Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. All right, now, church, I mean, verse number 37, God, Jesus makes it really plain. We don't have to guess what this means. Jesus is going to specifically spell out this, this entire parable. So let's look at what the interpretation or explanation of this is. Verse 37, and he answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is who? All right, Jesus Christ, son of man. It says the field is what? All right, it's the world. Who are the good seed? All right, the good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares, who are they? All right, that's a lost person. The enemy that sowed them is who? The devil himself. When is the harvest? End of the world. And the reapers are who? All right, now it's interesting, church family, that when Jesus Christ comes back, the Bible says we're going to see him and the angels, and that's again for those who are saved, but it's also very interesting that when it comes time for judgment time, it's the angels are going to cast people into the lake of fire. So here he's making, he's talking about the end of harvest. Now, church family, if you're saved tonight, say amen. All right, now follow me tonight, real simple tonight. 
we understand that this parable, very elementary, we understand that the world that we're living in has lost people and saved people. It has people who are wheat, it has people who are tares. The wheat is representation of all those who are saved. Those tares, those weeds that are, that are harmful, those are those who are lost, all right? Who's the person who sowed the tares? The person who sowed the tares is the devil himself. Why does the devil do that? 2 Corinthians 4, verse number 4, the God of this world hath blinded their eyes that they might not see the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. And so they, the devil does not want anybody to be saved. He wants you to go to hell. But if you're saved, you're on your way to heaven. All right? Wonderful thing. But there's a bunch of people out there that don't know Christ as their Savior that are going to go to hell, not because of what church they attended, not, not because of what kind of life they lived. The Bible says it's because of sin. And because of sin, there's a penalty. And that penalty is death and hell. Jesus Christ died for every person. All those who put their faith and trust in him, him go to heaven. All those who try to live it their own way are going to go to hell and have to, of course, spend eternity in the lake of fire and pay for their sin. Now, church family, the principle I want you to see tonight is about the enemy for just a few moments. I want you to think about the devil. What's the devil's purpose? What, what is he trying to do in the life that we're living right now? You know, we sometimes get so caught up with working jobs and so caught up with, uh, with our own personal life of raising children and things of that sort that we really lose sight that there's a spiritual thing going on here, a spiritual life that we're living. The, the devil knoweth, according to the book of Revelation, that he hath but a short time. And because of that, the devil is busy sowing tares. Now tonight, I want to just deal with for just a few moments on that thought is what is Satan trying to do in our world today? What's Satan trying to do? This idea of the, of the wheat and tares, I think, give the, the story as well as the explanation of what the devil's trying to do. Now, let's look at a couple of them. Look at your Bible now. Look at verse number 25. And let's just, I want to point out some things about this parable. In Matthew chapter 13 and verse number 25, the Bible says, And while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. In verse number 27, So the servants of the householder came and said, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field, from whence then hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. In verse 39, when Jesus explains the parable, he tells us who the enemy is. All right, now, you know your Bible. First Peter chapter number 5, I think it's verse number 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, who, what's the word adversary? Enemy. Because your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may, whom he may devour. Just remember, we understand that in the world that we're living in, that Satan is constantly opposing the work of God. Now, do me a favor. Think of the story for just a moment. What's the story about? It's about a householder who had a field. And this householder, what was he doing? He was trying to raise a crop, and he was trying to plant wheat. And there's an enemy that comes along to oppose what the householder is doing. Listen, can I tell you what the devil's busy about doing? He's opposing anything that God's doing. So God wants you to raise your children for God. The enemy opposes that. God wants you to have a marriage that's pleasing unto the Lord. Satan's opposing that. God wants you to be a witness for him and tell people about Jesus Christ. Satan's opposing that. Can I just remind you that what we're doing is a constant fight. And yes, I understand the world, the flesh, and the devil. But the devil's real. And I want to tell you, he is opposing anything that's spiritual and anything in your life that would be pleasing unto the Lord. He doesn't want, to, he doesn't want that to happen. I'm glad I'm saved, glad I'm on my way to heaven. He can't take away my salvation. But he can, he can discourage me. He can cause me not to do the things that God wants me to do. He can cause, uh, as, as Balaam and Balak, as we see from the story there, he can cause me to sin to get God's disfavor in my life. So what is Satan constantly doing? He's constantly opposing the work of God. You know, I was talking to somebody this morning, you know, that sometimes the devil does things in our life, and it's not that God does it, 
but God allows it. I think the prime example and story of that is Job. You know, Satan comes to God first, but he had to get God's permission before he could ever take away his substance and his health, his children. All of that came because God gave permission. Aren't you glad that God's omnipotent and not Satan? Satan can only do what God allows him to do. You say, well, why is God allowed to happen? Well, obviously, there's lots of reasons God allows things to happen in our life. It's interesting that when David numbered the people that the Bible says in 1 Chronicles that, uh, that Satan was going against Israel and provoked David. You know, a lot of times it's not about you. It's what God's trying to do through you. Satan's trying to do a work against your children. Satan's trying to do a work against your family or even this church. And what does he do? Sometimes that attack comes upon you, but it's really not about you. It's who he's really trying to attack. Satan did not want Israel to go forward. 70,000 people died in Israel because David numbered the people. Why did David number the people? Because Satan provoked him to number the people. Do you understand that Satan is, a, is it's all about opposing the work of God? Our lives are not really about making money. And our lives are not really about making a living. Our lives are about serving the Lord. Amen. Making a living, that's secondary. Serving God is primary. Because God's supposed to have the preeminence in our life. So if God's got the preeminence in our life, everything else is secondary. And so you know what Satan does? Satan's trying to oppose every opportunity you have to do the Lord's work. He doesn't want you telling anybody about the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't want you serving in a ministry. He doesn't want you teaching a class. He doesn't want you influencing anybody else. He wants you busy about all these other things because it's all about opposing the work of God. So when I look at this story here and I see what Satan's trying to do in our world, the first thing I see is Satan opposes the work of God and he'll constantly oppose the work of God. But greater is he that is in you than what? All right, so we don't have to worry about Satan's not, Satan doesn't have the uh, uh, ability that's stronger than God. So again, thankful, thankful that we have the Lord. The second thing I want you to see is verse number 25 in this story. All right, Matthew 13, look at verse 25. Of course, the good seed is, this, uh, is the Jesus Christ sowing that good seed in verse 24, verse 25. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among his wheat and went his way. I want you to understand that first of all, Satan opposes the work of God. But second of all, Satan works when we sleep. Satan works when we sleep. I was preaching chapel this last week and Matthew um, wouldn't help me. I actually had him laying on the Lord's table down here. And uh, it was the first time he was able to sleep during a service and not feel bad about it, all right? So he slept during the service. And I preached a message during chapel on, uh, are you sleeping? And this, this uh, parable goes so close to what we were talking about in school chapel on this idea of Satan, he gets the advantage and he does what, what, what he wants to do in our life when not, not sleeping physically. The word sleep there is talking about being unaware or unconcerned. It's not a big deal or it, that's unconcerned, or uh, unaware. We're, we're not attentive to what the Lord's doing in our life. And that's when Satan, the enemy, came along and sowed the tares into the field. Hey, listen, we as Christians need to be alert and awake to what's going on around us spiritually. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse number 6, Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Hey, listen, I want to tell you, there's other Christians who live their life lackadaisically. They just work a job. They're, they don't ever carry gospel tracts on them. They don't ever think about being a witness. They don't think about trying to, to, to read their Bible in the sense of, I'm going to read my Bible to get something from it. I'm just going to get my three chapters over with. I want to tell you, you know what that's called? That's called sleeping spiritually. You're missing out on what the Lord's trying to do in your life, and that's when Satan gets the advantage. 
You know, Paul said it very clearly. He said that we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. Just remember, it's not like we don't know what the devil's doing. He's the enemy. All right? He doesn't want me to read my Bible. He doesn't want me to spend time in prayer. He doesn't want me to be a witness. He doesn't want me to be filled with the Spirit of God. So, I'm not ignorant of those things. But you know what? Again, what does the Bible say? Neither give place. What does that mean? Neither give place to who? Now, it's interesting, that word place, you look it up in the, I think the New Testament Greek. The Greek word for the word place means spot. He says, don't even give a spot to the devil. Now, as Christians, we have to understand what's the devil trying to do? He's going to oppose the work of God. When's the devil going to do it? When you're sleeping. When you're sleeping. Just, I mean, when you go through the scripture, it's interesting when people were sleeping. Eutychus was sleeping in church. Jonah was sleeping in the bottom of, of the boat. All right? Samson was asleep when he got his hair cut. Hey, do you understand, in all of those situations, there's a spiritual application that when we're unaware or unconcerned about what the Lord's trying to do in our life, that's when Satan gets the advantage in our life. There's nobody in here that wants Satan to get the advantage. You know, if you're a Christian, you want to be pleasing unto the Lord. You want, to, you want to make sure that you don't yield to temptation. You want to take a stand for Christ. But if you are not alert spiritually, that's, that's what Satan does. He gets us when we're sleeping, when we're, when we're not so concerned about it. Oh, that's just a small thing. You know, I'm going to tell you something. It's not a small thing because you sleep in and don't read your Bible. It's not a small thing just because you didn't make it to a church service. It's not a small thing when you had an opportunity to witness and you don't do it. Those are big things. Satan knows that he is going to oppose the work of God and the easiest way to do it is when that we're not have the full armor of God on, when we're not taking the sword of the spirit, when we're not trying to uh, uh, resisting the devil and he will flee from me. So again, what is the Satan doing? He's opposing the work of God. When does he do it? He does it when we're sleeping. And we need to make sure that we're, we're alert spiritually, not physically, this, this time about a spiritual, spiritual matter, being alert. Something else I want you to look at your Bible again. Look at verse number 26 with me. In verse number 26, it says this, but when the blade was sprung up, now Jesus is telling the story again, but when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. Now, just from what I have under, from understanding and reading and just trying to figure out the difference between wheat and tares, uh, the dictionary kind of explains it a little bit. It says, when the wheat and tares first sprout up, you cannot see a difference. The reason the tares got among the wheat is because when they first come up, they kind of look the same. And I want to tell you, there's a lot of people who look like they're Christians, but they're not Christians, and it's going to be revealed in the harvest. You are not saved because your hair's cut short. You are not saved because of what clothes you wear. You're not saved because you go to church, okay? You're saved because you realized you were a sinner bound for hell, needing a Savior, and you accepted Christ as your personal Savior. So it's, it's not a matter of, you know, who you hob a knob with what, or, or what church you're, you're attending. It's a matter of, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Amen. And there are a lot of people in this world, they look like a Christian and sometimes even act like a Christian, but they're not really a Christian. And I'm going to tell you something, sometimes we as Christians get messed up because those tares, those weeds that are harmful to the wheat, grow up alongside and, and just like the, like the Bible says, hey, listen, it's going to show forth in the harvest. When the Lord comes back, the rapture of the church takes place, we as Christians are going to be taken out of here, harvested out of here. And we understand that there will be another resurrection. And at that great white throne judgment, there are going to be people cast into the lake of fire forever. Those are the tares. Hey, Satan's, yes, that his, he opposes the work of God. When does he do it? When we as Christians sleep. But we have to understand that Satan's chief method is imitation. 
That's what he's doing. He wants things to look as close to the real thing as possible, but it's not the real thing. You know, I think sometimes we as Christians, we miss it uh, because, you know, because Satan's idea of imitation. You know, a tear and a wheat, they look so much, so much similar. Hey, listen, church family, we, there are things that we do not do that's very, very clear spelled out in the Bible because we want to please the Lord not to get, to, we're not doing things to get to heaven. It's all been done on the cross of Calvary, okay? But the life we live is supposed to be pleasing unto the Lord. He said, be holy for I am holy. So why are we holy? Am I trying to get to heaven? No, I'm, I'm trying to be holy because that's what pleases the Lord. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So do I go out and tell people about Jesus Christ because I'm trying to get to heaven? No, I go tell people about Jesus Christ because that's pleasing to the Lord. And I want to tell you, the day that we're living in, there are so many things that look spiritual, but they're not spiritual. Most of you, or many of you in here, you work out in the world and you make a living. You, you provide for your family, okay? And what happens is, is you, you work with people who are lost, but they're good people. And in some cases, you work with people that are moral. But I want to tell you something. Just because a person's good and a person's moral doesn't mean they're saved. Don't get confused. I, I, think there's a, I think there's been young people in the past that have gotten, when they get to that age and they graduate or get married or whatever, what happens is, is as they get older, they leave, if I can say, the old paths because they get out there and see somebody who claims that they're saved and on their way to heaven, but they're going a new path. And they think, well, that's a Christian. And as long as, you know, if they're a Christian, then it's okay to do it. Now, wait a second here. Remember, Satan is a master deceiver. And how does he do it? He does it with imitation. Church family, I want to tell you, we as Christians sometimes, how, how, can I say it this way? How dumb can we be? Think about this for a moment here. He deceived the first man and woman called Adam and Eve. He deceived David, the man after God's own heart. He deceived David and David commits adultery. You go through all the main characters of the scripture, and you're going to find out that though they were great people, they still was deception in their life. Samson was the strongest person who ever lived that God uses as, for 20 years as a judge of Israel, mentioned in the hall of faith. And the, the scene that we remember most is his head on Delilah's uh, lap with his hair being cut off, wished not that the Lord had departed from him. Wake up, open up your eyes. Don't miss out what the, what, the, what the devil is trying to do in your life that just because a person claims they're saved but they don't live the life of a saved person, don't just excuse it. Well, you know, maybe we are too strict around here. And I don't even like making statements like that because our salvation, Heritage Baptist Church is not the standard. The Bible is the standard. It's not what Pastor Hank says from the pulpit. It's what does the Bible say from the pulpit. So in other words, we live our life according to the scriptures and the devil's constantly putting all those things. What did he say in the book of 1 Corinthians about Satan? Said, Apostle Paul was talking about false teachers and false ministers. And he said, hey, listen, let it be no surprise because even Satan is as an angel of light. You know, as Christians, we have to understand that Satan's constantly trying to throw imitations out, of, out there to oppose the work of God. And if we're sleeping spiritually, we're going to miss out. We're going to miss on what an imitation is and what is the real thing. All right? I just want you to understand this is the real thing. Amen. Right? Now, I know there's a lot of other things that are imitations, but this is the real thing. Okay? And I, and I want to tell you that there, there's, a, there's a real type of Christian. And there's a real type of Christian family. And there's a real type of Christian church. 
And I want to tell you, Satan has been really busy trying to produce families that are not very Christian, but quote-unquote were saved. And he's produced several churches that are so quote-unquote Christian, but they're not, they're not the kind of church that Christ is, is established. And I want to tell you, I'm always, always very careful to, to say this. Heritage Baptist Church is not the pattern. Heritage Baptist Church is not the perfect church. But we do have a New Testament called the Book of Acts that shows us what kind of church church is supposed to be. So what's Satan doing? Satan's primary purpose is to oppose the work of God. The only way it works is when he gets Christians who are sleeping. And really what's his master plan is imitation. As long as the wheat and tares look alike, you don't really notice it until the fruit starts coming out. Hey, as Christians, we need to be careful. There are no perfect Christians. One day we'll have our glorified body. And I know until then we... We just have to try to live the Christian life, fall down, get back up, fall down, get back up. We're supposed to live the spirit-filled life. We, there's a battle going on, flesh and spirit. I know all those things are going on in our life. But I want to tell you something. Satan's fighting hard to ruin your life and your family's life. Listen, you've got to be careful that you don't think these little things don't matter. Little things do matter. You know why? Because it's Satan. You ever thought about this too, about this particular story? When, they, when the, when the uh, good, good, good men of the house, he threw out, he, the Bible says the good seed was planted first. Then the enemy came along when men slept and the, the tares, the weeds were planted. It was not noticed when it was planted. It was noticed when it started to come up. Now, I don't know what length of time that would have been, but I understand this one thing. Satan is a very patient person. So what he is sowing into our families when our kids are children he doesn't mind, even if it's just a little bit, because he knows that one day they're going to be an adult and those seeds are going to grow. He's patient. You know, what's going on in your life right now might seem like a little thing right now, but all it is is a seed right now, and Satan is fine with that. As long as the seed gets planted and it starts to grow, he doesn't mind, because he he, he's patient in the fact, in the fact that it can, it'll sprout up later in life. You know, we talk about our children and we try to be careful as far as what we're putting into our kids because what we put into our kids now can be a stumbling block for later in their life. As far as the books we give them to read, as far as the videos we let them, uh, let them watch, the, the people and friends that we allow them to go with. You know, there's things, in, in, and as a parent, if you're not careful, you start to have regrets and you look back at your life and I wish I'd have done that different. And by the way, you can't live your life based upon what happened in the past. You live your life on what's going on in the future. Okay, now if there's things I didn't do as a parent beforehand, I can't change that. Okay, I can only change where I am right now. And you shouldn't live that kind of life of always looking back. That's why he said in the book of Philippians, he says, you know, pressing, uh, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. He says, forgetting those things which are behind. I can't look backwards. But I want to tell you something. A lot of problems, or I should say some, not a lot, but some of the problems that our kids have later in the life is because we allow seeds into their life early on, and then Satan just lets those things grow and then what happens is when they get to be 18, 19 years old, there are seeds that are already planted and they end up doing things they shouldn't be doing because we as parents let those seeds be planted when they were in fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. You know why? Because Satan's patient. He doesn't need your kid to mess up when he's in fourth grade, but he sure is banking on your kid messing up when he's 19. And by the way, it doesn't matter if he's in fourth grade or 19. If you're an adult in here tonight, Satan still wants to destroy your life. He's the devourer. So what should we do? Understand, I'm done. But understand this, Satan opposes the work of God. I want to tell you how he's doing it. He's getting Christians to be sleeping. 
We're not alert to what's going on. We're unaware. We're unconcerned of what the Lord's trying to do in our life. And I want to tell you what his chief method is. It's imitation. Oh, this isn't so bad. This is pretty close to the real thing. I want to tell you something. We've got the real thing. We've got a book in our hand. tells us how to live, what we're supposed to be doing, how we're supposed to give, how we're supposed to raise our children. All the things about life are in that book that, right there. We've got the real thing. We don't have to worry about something that's phony. Satan's constantly trying to put all those things. You know, one of the things about the Christian life that we have to be careful on are the things that are close to the real thing. That's where we get in trouble with music. You know, there's godly music, and then what you have is you've got this contemporary music, and then you've got this worldly music, and we look at the three of those. You know, worldly, I'll, well, I know what worldly music is, and then you've got this contemporary music, and it you know, talks about God. And then you've got this Christian music, and you say, well, come on, it, it, it's, it's not bad. Okay, but wait a second here. Satan is not going to trick you with worldly music. He's always going to do it with something that is close to the real thing. Now, music is just one area of our life, but can I tell you something? Every area of our life is the same way. It's a matter of, are we going to do what God wants, or are we going to do what's close to what God wants? That's what Satan's trying to do in our life. And it all goes down to, he opposes the work of God. He opposes what God wants to do with your life, and all the people you could influence, and people that you could be saved, and people that could grow because of your influence, and now all of a sudden your influence is going to be gone. You know why? Because Satan's catching you while you're sleeping, and Satan's trying to use the imitation and cause you, oh, this is not too bad. It's pretty close to the real thing, but it's not the real thing. Young people, I want to tell you, for most of you, you grew, not all of you, but most of you, there's many of you, I should say, that you grew up in this church. It's the only thing you've ever known. And Satan doesn't want you to grow up in this type of church. You've had parents that have told the line and have stayed faithful to God all these years. And by the way, there are no perfect parents, and so your parents aren't perfect. Well, I hate to tell you, you're not a perfect kid either. But God puts you here, and it's not by accident that you're here. And Satan is doing everything he can to destroy your life. And, you don't, and I know you don't know it because you can't see Satan, but that's exactly what Satan's doing. He's trying to do it with friends. He's trying to, he's trying to do it with the internet. He's trying to do it with social media. He's, anywhere that he can get an avenue in. You know, isn't it amazing that we put locks on our door because we don't want people coming in to harm our family? But yet we put things in our house that harm our family. Satan's pretty smart. He knows exactly what he's doing. Tears and wheat. Well, I look out tonight and I see wheat. Most of you have given testimony that you're saved on your way to heaven. Those tares that are around us not going to affect us because one day wheat's all going to heaven and put in the barn. Tares are going to be taken and cast in the lake of fire to be burned forever and ever and ever. But I want to tell you, until the Lord comes back, Satan's purpose and what he's doing is he's trying to oppose what God's trying to do and he'll do it if you're sleeping and it's always going to be by imitation. We as Christians need to be alert to what's going on around us and stop letting, letting up, giving in or letting up in these little, what we consider little areas of our life. If it's imitation, it's imitation. Make sure that we do what the Word of God says. Would you bow your head and close your eyes tonight?